Scripture offers an interesting illustration of the importance of clarification. It comes from the life of Jacob at the time of his return to the land where he was born and raised. He had gone away. Now he was coming back. We must remember that he had left his homeland under bitter circumstances because Jacob had cheated and deceived him. His brother Esau had become very angry with him. In fact, he had threatened to kill him. Now Jacob is returning to the region where his brother lived. Unsure of what his brother's attitude will be, he suspects that Esau may still hold a grudge. And so scripture says that he does. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he's coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. That's Genesis chapter 32, verses 3 and 6. Jacob puts his news about Esau through his own interpretational grid. Why would Esau, he's saying to himself, take the time to come to meet me? And why would he bring 400 men with him? He interprets Esau's nonverbal behavior and concludes that Esau is still carrying a grudge. He hears that Esau isn't saying anything and decides that Esau wants to wipe him out. So the account continues. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, a group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, or I'm afraid he will come and attack me. He spent the night there, And from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. The gift was 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, and 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows, 10 bulls, and 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. Female donkeys, male donkeys. And he said, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. That's what he said to his servants. He also instructed all the others who followed the herds. He said, you're to say, To Esau, when you meet him, your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts. In other words, Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. He himself went on ahead and bowed down 
to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. That's Genesis chapter 32, verses 7 through 9, and verse 11, verses 13 through 16, verses 19 and 20, and chapter 33, verses 1 through 3. Now notice how Jacob's interpretation of Esau's nonverbal behavior influenced him. It influenced his emotions. He became very fearful and distressed. It dominated his thoughts. He spent his time planning how he would respond, what he would do. And then he wanted to protect himself. He planned what he and his servants should say. And so his interpretation affected his attitudes very strongly. He recognized his own vulnerability. He turned to prayer. He talked constantly about it. He divided his flocks. He became generous and solicitous. He sent a large gift ahead of him. He bowed down to the ground seven times, evidencing complete submission. All this took place before Esau had said a word. And as it turned out, all of this was a result of miscommunication. Jacob had misread Esau's nonverbal behavior completely. The scripture tells us Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Esau asked, What do you mean by all these droves of animals that I met? To find favor in your eyes, my Lord, he said. I already have plenty. I don't need all of the animals you want to give to me, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. That's Genesis chapter 33, verses 4 and 8 and 9. He didn't clarify previously, that is, Jacob didn't. He assumed he knew exactly why Esau was coming. So clarification and explanation helped Jacob and Esau to avoid misjudging each other's actions. At first, each was unsure of what the other meant. I'm afraid, Esau said, that he will come and attack me. What do you, Jacob, mean by all these droves? He wanted clarification. What does this mean? And so they reached a new understanding through clarification, and they explained their nonverbal behavior. But suppose Jacob's first impressions had caused him to retreat to the place he had come from. He could have turned around and gone back to where he'd come from. He would have lived the rest of his life thinking that Esau still hated him, Jacob would have, who had never had the blessing of being reconciled with his brother. This wrong interpretation on the part of Jacob, if it had not been clarified, would have troubled him to the grave. Or suppose 
Jacob had decided to get Esau before Esau got him. He might have ambushed his brother before they had a chance to clarify matters. Many lives and possessions might have been lost. He and Esau might both have acted without knowing how badly they had misunderstood one another. But all of that was avoided because they took the opportunity for clarification and explanation. Researchers suggest that communication is 55% nonverbal and 45% verbal. Whether these percentages are always accurate, I don't know. But it's evident that what people hear through our actions is powerful, perhaps more powerful than what we actually say with words. And so we should seek to develop an honesty about what we're really thinking and feeling. And we should consciously try to see ourselves as others might see us make the practices of explanation and clarification a regular part of our family life. Now here are some study and application assignments. And I would suggest that you listen to them and turn the podcast off and discuss it with one another. Complete these assignments and then discuss your answers if in the family situation with your mate, or if you're in a study group, discuss your answers with study group. Jot down the four important lessons about nonverbal communication that should be learned and practiced in your family life. Evaluate yourself as a nonverbal communicator in terms of how well you practice these four principles. Rate yourself on this scale. Excellent, good, fair, poor, terrible. And do the same for other family members as well. Clarification, explanation, prayer, consideration, waiting to, waiting to think carefully and to gather data before you act, either verbally or in terms of your behavior. And then complete these assignments individually and then discuss your answers with your mate, your husband, your wife, or with your family, or with your study group. Write down the four important lessons about nonverbal communication that should be learned and practiced with your family. And then, as I said, evaluate yourself as a nonverbal communicator in terms of how well you practice these four principles. Rate yourself on this scale. Excellent, good, fair, poor, or terrible. And then do the same with other family members. Practice clarification and explanation. Practice prayer, meditation, seeking God's help, thinking What are the facts? What do the facts really reveal? Don't trust your assumptions or your imaginations. But go and carefully, judiciously, calmly, respectfully 
seek clarification and be willing on your own account to give an explanation. So, rate yourself and then ask yourself the question, how can people's responses help us to understand our nonverbal behavior? What may we learn about ourselves if we find that many people are responding to us in a similar way? with the same reaction from the wife, same reaction from the children, same reaction from brothers and sisters, cousins, and other people. We evaluate why people are responding to us in a particular way and consider the implications of that kind of wrong response. And look up Proverbs chapter 11, verse 27, and see what it has to say in reference to this particular matter. Proverbs 12 and verse 24, and then Proverbs 13, verse 15, and Proverbs 13, verse 18, and chapter 14, verse 22, the second part of verse 22, Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 35, Proverbs 17, verse 13, Proverbs 22, verse 5, Proverbs chapter 27, and verse 18. Think about these verses carefully. Discuss them with other members of the family and with your Bible study group. And then, having done that, as I said, you push the pause button on the podcast and then do these things. And then, having done that, you answer the question, how can people's responses help us to understand our nonverbal behavior? What may we learn about ourselves if we've had many people respond in a similar way? And then answer the question, what danger do Proverbs 16, verse 2, Proverbs 26, verses 23 through 28, Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 9, and James chapter 1 and verse 22, what danger do these verses bring to our attention? What do they have to say in terms of nonverbal behavior. And then, in response, make a list of feelings or attitudes you've experienced during the past two weeks. Have you experienced anger, sadness, discouragement, discontentment, joy, happiness, pleasure, peace, or worry and despair, contentment, excitement, compassion, frustration, nervousness? Have you experienced fear, terror, annoyance, pride, humiliation, frustration, nervousness, terror, annoyance? What has happened in those areas? 
Have you experienced shame, embarrassment? And note the circumstances connected with each of your emotional experiences. Go back over the past week or two and identify if you've experienced any of those emotional responses. What do these emotions or attitudes tell you about yourself and how might they affect your nonverbal behavior or how did they affect your nonverbal behavior? How would others know or guess that you were experiencing one of these emotions or attitudes if you didn't tell them? How would others know what was going on inside of them unless you explained it to them very carefully, taking responsibility for yourself, not condemning them? So how do the truths in the certain passages and phrases that are found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, especially 4 through 7, how they relate to the issue of interpreting someone else's nonverbal behavior. Look at the way verses 4 through 7 of 1 Corinthians 13 describes love. And then if you didn't love in that particular way, how would you express yourself? How might you evaluate, examine what is the course of action that's often tied to the negative phrases that are found in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. How does what you were experiencing relate to the issue of interpreting someone else's nonverbal behavior? How does the example of Jacob and Esau Think about it. Talk about it. How does that illustrate the main point about nonverbal communication needing sometimes judicious explanation or judicious clarification? And then picks six emotions or attitudes that I'm going to mention and try to communicate them by nonverbal communication. Picture yourself in a situation where you've experienced this emotion or attitude and try to depict how that emotion has influenced you, how that attitude has influenced you. Take turns with your wife or husband or with your children or with other members of the family or other members of your Bible study group. And until each of you has enacted six emotions or attitudes and let the other people do it and then you guess what the other person is trying to communicate and then discuss the results. For example, if you're experiencing love, or the other person is experiencing love, how would they communicate that without words? How would they communicate? How would you know that they were experiencing love? Or the issue of sadness. How might the 
sadness influence you? What would you see? Or you were hurt about something. Think of a time when you were hurt by something somebody said or did. How did you feel? What did you feel? And how did that hurt express itself? Or anger? Or unbelief? Or trust? If you really trust the other person, how would that influence your nonverbal communication? How about indifference? How about pride? How about embarrassment? Or apathy? Or frustration? Or humility? Or anxiety? Or excitement? If you were excited, or if any of the other words that I've mentioned were going on inside of you, you were experiencing these things, how might you express that particular feeling, that particular attitude, an emotional experience? How might it influence your nonverbal communication or apathy or humility or anguish or excitement or irritation or guilt or if you were delighted, how might that be expressed in a nonverbal way? Or if you were discouraged or if you were fearful or if you were ashamed, how might that express itself non-verbally? Or if you're really pleased with something, how could you express that? How might you be tempted to express that non-verbally, not with your words, not telling somebody that you're really pleased, but non-verbally, how would you express to your wife or to your children or if you're a child to your father or mother, how might you express that non-verbally to that family member or if you were ashamed? Just think about it and get counsel from others about how People often communicate when they're experiencing any of these particular emotions or experiences. Well, that's so important for us to uh, do that, to clarify it in our own minds, but also to clarify it in others and help them to understand what you're experiencing and why you're expressing it in that particular way. Learn to communicate with others what you're expressing or feeling. Seek God's help. Lord, how should I express myself in this particular way? Seek the direction of God. Seek to get some Bible verses that you would use to interpret or to help you to express these things in a biblical way. What you should do. Remember the two things I've already mentioned the importance of judiciously explaining to others what is really going on inside of you, why you might be relating to others, why you might be having certain expressions on your faces, on your face. Just express that, explain that carefully and judiciously to others. Pray about it. Think about how God would have you express that. And then, of course, 
if you're on the receiving end, then make sure you practice judicious clarification rather than jump to a conclusion which may or may not be right. And you very carefully and prudently not condemning the other person, not pushing the other person into a deeper uh, experience of what there is going on inside of them, but rather to carefully ask them questions, think through the kind of questions you should ask, rather than interpreting, thinking you're infallible, and you know exactly, as uh, with my, I mentioned with my son, when he said, what's the matter, Dad? And he would do that frequently. What would that tell me about myself? How do I come across to my son? And if I come across to my son in a particular way, it's very likely that I might come across with others in that particular way. And if it's an unbiblical response, if it's a, an expression of fear and a lack of trust in God, uh, to a desire to punish somebody else or to blame somebody else, rather than to accept responsibility and go to God and ask him to help us to, as Philippians 4 and verse 6 says, for example, that in a situation we should come to God in prayer. We should examine why we are feeling a particular way and how our feelings or our interpretation of what has occurred, whether it's right or wrong, and it could be wrong, that we're interpreting things wrongly, and we need to get that clarified and then seek to ask the Lord to help us how we should deal with our frustration, with our disappointment, with what we perceive to be rejection or failure or whatever. Lord, how would you have us respond? What would you have us be thinking and what would be the way that you would have us interpret this? So you're seeking clarification on your own part as far as what is the proper response. Why do you are you responding that way? What is indicated about your faith? What is indicated about your trust in God? What is indicated about what is really important to you? Is it important to you to be the person that God wants you to be? Are you willing to trust God and obey God? Well, those are things that you ought to do in terms of clarification of your own feelings, clarification of the way that you might express yourself to the other person, which, of course, would not promote reconciliation. It would not promote harmony. It would not promote a good relationship with the other person, but rather it would drive the other person away from you. So prayer, consideration, being in control of yourself, not just responding, but seeking help from God to know how you should respond and seeking help from God uh, that you might experience the peace of God which passes all understanding and that you might experience trust in Him. You might experience a proper attitude toward the Lord being in control that He works all things together for good. If you really believe that, how would that express itself as over against this is horrible, it's terrible. It means I'm a failure, it means disaster. So you, you stop and you pray, you think biblically, you seek to evaluate why you're responding a particular way, 
And then you ask God for help in knowing how you should respond and then asking God for help in actually responding the way that he wants you to respond because we must realize that if we respond that way, for example, to other family members, it's very likely that we respond that way to others outside of the family. And as a result of that, we're not being a testimony to them. We're not being a, a positive influence in their lives. We're not expressing our faith and our trust in God. We're not serving God the way that he wants us to serve him. So explanation, examination, reflecting on the Bible, praying, and then seeking the help of the Holy Spirit to live the way he wants you to live and to express your confidence in him as you relate to others as well. So explanation and clarification, prayer, consideration, self-control, discipline, and a desire to live the way God wants you to live, to reflect him in your relationships with other people is so important.